Hi there, and welcome to the Everyday Millionaire Podcast. My name is Patrick Francie, and I'm the CEO of the Real Estate Investment Network. In addition to being a business owner, I'm also a real estate investor, I'm a coach, I'm a husband, I'm a very proud grandfather. And along with that, I'm also committed to stretching beyond what I've already achieved and of living a fulfilled life by continuing to make a positive difference in the world. I invite you to join me to listen in on the Everyday Millionaire podcast as I interview and have conversations with seemingly ordinary individuals who have achieved some pretty extraordinary results, whether it be in their life, in their business, in real estate. And it's here where I'm going to delve into the details of their journey, along with the paths they've traveled to get where they are today, and as importantly, where they intend to go in the future. My guests are here to inspire. They're here to help you learn by talking about what's real for them, both in their wins and in their challenges, from the life and the lifestyle they live to the person they had to become along the way in creating and building their financial futures for themselves and their families. Before I begin this episode, I'll start by first thanking you for listening in and for your support and the feedback you provide us on the show, as well as to ask you to please continue to send your comments, your suggestions, or your questions directly to me at CEO at RainCanada.com. That is CEO at R-E-I-N Canada.com. And if you're inclined, please share this podcast with your friends, your family, and with people you know, or perhaps even people you don't know. Rate the show and comment on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, or whatever platform you happen to use to listen in. And while you're at it, please follow me on the Everyday Millionaire Facebook page. So thanks again for the feedback you provide us. It's definitely appreciated. Okay, let's get on with this show and have a conversation with today's guest. My guest today, Ernie Harker, is a creative branding mastermind and the author of his book, Your Brand Sucks. Self-diagnosed with hyperactive productivity disorder, Ernie loves to draw, trail run, compete in triathlons, wakeboard, do yoga, lift weights, camp, mountain bike, watch movies, eat junk food, and of course, spend time with his family and his many brothers. Harvey shares his journey as an artist, his evolution into being an entrepreneur, and some great stories about being one of nine brothers. I'm looking forward to this one. Listen in, enjoy, let's get this show started. Ernie Harker, welcome to the Everyday Millionaire Podcast. So great to have you join me as a guest today. Thank you so much. I'm excited to be here with you. <laughs> Let's kick it off first and foremost by, for our viewers, our listeners, tell me a little bit about if I'm walking up and I'm saying, so Ernie, what do you do? What's the answer to that question, my friend? <laughs> that is a great question. Uh, what I do professionally and what I do for fun are are not always the same thing. I I love what I do professionally, and that is I help organizations figure out what their personality is, and then I fashion the visual and verbal language like logos and marketing materials and colors and textures and all those kinds of things to highlight that personality in a way that's easy to remember and it's remarkable. So the people will talk about it. It's called branding. That's what I do. I do branding. You're a branding guy. Now, is that, now that's what you do business-wise, professionally. Now, how long have you been doing that? How did you get into, onto that path, by the way? You know, it's a long path. It's a long path. So I'll share it with you kind of as quickly as I can, all mm -hmm. right? So branding, like I said, is, requires knowledge about marketing and advertising because you use those elements branding elements in how you communicate to your audience. Mm. And so I started as an illustrator when I was, this is a sad story, but it's a good one. When I was 11 years old, my mom <laughs> actually threw out what she called the idiot box. Okay. What do you think the idiot box is? Patrick? Television, man. Television. You know it. That's what my mom called it because me and my eight brothers turned into idiots when we were watching the TV. And so when she was wanting us to help scrub the potatoes, set the table for dinner and whatever, we were zombies in front of the TV. And she carried out her threat of getting rid of the idiot box. Well, 
without playing Atari and watching after school <laughs> cartoons, I was forced to do something else with my time. And I ended up like pouring a lot of time into one of my favorite hobbies, which was drawing. And when you spend two to three hours a day after school drawing, you get pretty good. I guess you get pretty good at anything you do for two to three hours a day. But being really good at watching TV isn't very productive. There's <laughs> no one benefits from that except for the whoever's, you know, the, the ad guys, right? Sure. So anyway, I got pretty good with, with uh, my pencil. And I had some really good teachers. And uh, when you get, when you have people say, oh my gosh, Ernie, you're a really good artist. Well, what do you want to do? Do more art. Everybody craves that level of attention. And you have, when you have eight brothers, mom and dad don't have a lot of time to have attention <laughs> on you unless you're causing trouble. <laughs> and I didn't like to cause trouble that much. So as a good, as, so, as someone who was, gifted and skilled in illustration. I pursued uh, an education in illustration, ended up getting a, a great job uh, in illustration at a, uh, a nice ad agency in Salt Lake City, mm -hmm. where we were working for clients like Intel, iOmega, WordPerfect, Netscape, a bunch of tech companies with like really, really cool creative directors and art directors mm -hmm. that appreciated my talent, but also coached me to be better. Two years later, I started my own company and I was intending to be just an illustrator, but I got into design. I got into TV commercials, writing, uh, radio spots. So I, my little company grew to be 16 people and we produced marketing materials and advertising materials for a variety of clients. Well, one of the things that I discovered is that especially small businesses would want you to create a marketing piece like an ad or something, yet they would change it all the time because it wasn't doing what they hoped it would do. And I realized that that was because they lacked a brand strategy. Like, who are you? And why are we using these colors versus these colors? Why are we saying it this way versus that way? And uh, I really, I, I hated wasting time. I hated having my talent wasted. And so I would kind of ask very direct questions to my clients to, to kind of explore or probe their motivations behind the marketing materials they wanted us to produce. And when I was asked to rebrand a convenience store chain, a local convenience store chain, we crushed it. It was awesome. We turned a cowboy Western themed convenience store chain that had about 172 stores into an adventure brand. And there's a long process that goes with that, but when we rebranded Maverick, I had the illustration, the animation, mm -hmm. the design, TV, radio, all these, the, all this experience in executing the brand in a consistent way. So every everything that we did was like cut from the same cloth, singing from the same songbook. So it became a very powerful uh, singular force and. Customers loved it. The business loved it. The business did fantastic. Mm -hmm. But that's how I got into branding. So yeah, there's so many places I want to go with this conversation now that you've kind of given me a little bit of background. And, you know, I, I'm, I'm just going to take a second here to think of where I want to start. But I think where I want to go is you had eight brothers. Okay. And, you know, it's interesting uh, yeah. the point that you made Yeah, that, you, you know, how do you stand out with eight brothers? So there's nine kids and your parents. Is that what I'm hearing? That's exactly right. Nine boys in our family, mom and dad, no sisters. <laughs> so eight brothers, that's, that's hilarious. I do want to share with you, uh, and, I, and I just can't imagine, because I'll share with you this as a, as a young man growing up. I was in kind of middle school, and uh, I was dating, uh, you know, I think I was like, what I would have been 16 or something, 15, whatever it was. And I was dating a girl. And anyway, she was a neighborhood gal that uh, I got to know very, very well. She became a good friend years later, all the rest of it. But she had totally, there was nine kids in their family, boys, girls, a whole mix. And they were in an 1100 square foot house. And I'm not kidding, but they would do 
full on sit down, break bread every single night. And I would go over there for dinner occasionally. And it was like a Thanksgiving dinner every single night in terms of just volume of food that they were producing and all the kids were cooking and they were there. Everybody was involved. And when they set the table in this kitchen, it was like, you know, nobody could move. It was really, really quite an experience because now there's me as a guest. There's 12 of us in this little kitchen. So I have some really interesting memories of that. So now I'm picturing, you know, nine boys, you know, uh, you're not a small man. And, you know, I'm sure that your brothers are uh, not all small, like little people. And you've got your mom and dad there. So that's, that's where my brain went on that whole thing there. So uh, what was it like at your house feeding 11 people? Yeah, it's, it's interesting. <laughs> it's interesting for sure. Okay. Now, every one of us boys, highly competitive, yeah. highly athletic. Okay. And so we would beat the crap out of each other, yeah. like daily basis. My poor mom, I'm sure, I mean, she <laughs> deserves like a hundred wings in heaven because of the crap she put up with, sure. right? Yeah. And, but one of the things that we, I learned as a kid is that, um, so my dad was an accountant for a long time. He, he was really good. He worked really, really hard and he became a CFO of a, a hospital chain. Mm -hmm. So he became successful. But as a kid with a bunch of little, you know, uh, with my, when my dad wasn't making a ton of money, mm -hmm. my mom did a great job of like frugality. And so I learned, I still, to this day, I measured the cost per ounce on everything, mm. even though I could buy whatever I wanted. Sure. It's like, I'm programmed for that. Yeah. And I remember I don't know how many um, of your viewers can relate to this, but so because we were kind of frugal, having uh, decadent treats and things, unless we baked them ourselves, was kind of, uh, it's a novelty. Yeah. So sweet cereal or ice cream is like super big deal. Yeah. I remember whenever we got ice cream, we'd get those bricks, right? The, the half gallon sure. or so bricks, two quart bricks or something. Okay, there's nine boys, mom and dad. We would take a ruler, I'm not kidding, open up the box, <laughs> lay it all out, and take a ruler, measure out, perfect, divide it by five, yeah. and then cut it in half. Yeah. So it's 10 equal slices. And we'd look like vultures looking at this ice cream, like, <laughs> Don't, his is bigger than mine. His is bigger than mine. Yeah. We'd fight about it. But yeah. today, like, I got a freezer with ice cream in it. I want my kids to like have all the things that I didn't have. Sure. And so those are some really good memories of um, kind of character building experiences. So yeah, crazy. That is lots of potatoes. <laughs> That's so awesome. So tell me something though. You're I want to go back a little bit because where you've gone on your journey, you know, you went into the branding world, you built a business. Uh, but share with me a little bit about your artistic talent. So at 11, you start drawing because you're not allowed to, you know, they pull out the TV and all the rest of it. So share with me a little bit about that development. Like, was there a time where you know, as a kid, you're growing up, you're 11, you start drawing, what attracted you to it? Or were you drawn to drawing? Like what part of it? So, you know, was it, a, you know, you used the team, you had a gift, but was it a gift or was it really something that you took an interest in and then you developed that skill? You know, I, I think, it, I, I don't know enough about, you know, I know artists, I know musicians, I can't play the radio and, you know, without a ruler, I can't draw anything close to a straight line. So I, I'm not, I, I say I don't have any of those skills, but having said that, I've never worked on those skills, you know? So for you, where was there a point that you crossed, you went, you know something, or was it just people saying, you know, you got some cool stuff going on here and that inspired you. Give me a little bit of that background. You, you're very insightful. And so, and it's a mix of all those kinds of, of ideas you've shared. The first is, I think I was attracted to the, the, uh, complimentary words of affirmation. Oh, this is pretty good. Mm. Now it's probably garbage as like a 13 year old. Sure. But my mom was always very, very supportive. She'd buy like how to draw books. 
yeah. on how to draw faces or characters and things like that for me that I was really interested in. Mm-hmm. Magazines. I remember Mad Magazine was a was a big deal. A, a magazine that I loved because yeah. there's so many like comic totally. arts and caricatures in there. Yeah. So <laughs> like, where did Mad Magazine go? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, but I think getting compliments like that mm-hmm. helped stoke my fire in interest in developing the talent more. Mm-hmm. And so I think I had a gift, not that it came easy to me, uh, but a gift that kind of pushed me to do better. Cause I love seeing art. Mm-hmm. I love seeing drawings, um, especially like the comic style, the sci-fi fantasy um, Dungeons and Dragons. I draw like elves and dragons and and unicorns and just cool stuff because I loved bringing things to life from imagination. Mm-hmm. And but I have seen other artists because I've worked with an, and employed many artists. Mm-hmm. There are some that are truly gifted. It's like magic flows out of their pencil. Yeah. But they also work extremely hard, extremely hard. Mm-hmm. And that's one of the things that uh, when I was in junior high. I had a teacher that recognized my passion for drawing and kind of pulled me aside and gave me some, some, some tips. And he said, the hardest things to draw are hands and faces. If you can do mm-hmm. hands and faces, you can pretty much do anything. Mm-hmm. So I spent a huge amount of time studying hands and faces, the bones, the musculature, the tendons, the veins. And I would I would go, I remember uh, when we didn't have the TV, I would open a magazine, just any magazine, and if it had a face or hands, I would try to draw the face and hands of everything in there. Hmm. And so it's like, because not every face is perfectly straight on, you know, you'd have people talking. And so I draw the side of the face and stuff. Sure. And so doing volume drawings, like in any, anything, if you do a volume of work, you will learn uh, things, sure. And course. so, yeah. a little bit of a gift for excite uh, for the uh, to create something new. Yeah. Having great teachers, and then having support from my mom, sure. getting accolades or support like that, kind of pulled me along in that direction. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, just out of curiosity, uh, any other artistic kind of, uh, you know, brothers, did they, did any of them go on to develop any kind of uh, musician, art, whatever, whatever it might be? Uh, did, or were you kind of a standout in that capacity? Um, I was kind of a standout. I remember early on, my, I have a twin brother as one of the nine. So my mom only had eight pregnancies. Ah. So, um, <laughs> so me and my twin brother were drawing together as little kids and I remember thinking that his artwork was better than mine. Mm-hmm. He said, my, my Woodsy the Owl is better than your Woodsy the Owl. And mm-hmm. I'm like, he's better than me. I hate mm-hmm. it. I think drawing's dumb. So it's not like right off the bat, I had this talent. He went into, he wanted to be a chef, my twin brother. Mm. When you, but he, and he studied and he loved, he's still an amazing cook today. Like he makes delicious food out of nothing but leftovers or whatever's in the fridge. Just awesome. We know people like that. But when you realize that there's not a lot of freedom as a chef and you work on holidays and weekends and when everybody else is playing, you're working and you don't get a lot of money unless you're super famous. He decided to become a therapist and he's doing exceptionally well as a therapist. That's awesome. But uh, yeah, I'm the only person that actually has like like music or or art or anything like that. Yeah, that's interesting. So, tell me a little bit about your journey. So, you you've got you got into the world of branding, but you got into the world of entrepreneurship. And I'm always curious about entrepreneurship because, you yeah. know, where does that come from? Is it, you know, where did you see the opportunity as an entrepreneur, uh, you know, was that something because you got onto it a little bit later, so you had a job and you said, "No, I'm going to go out on my own. I'm going to start mm-hmm. my own business." Uh, how did that come about? Like, mm-hmm. you know, was your, were your, your dad, was he entrepreneurial? Uh, did you see that side of him? Where did you get that entrepreneurial spirit? Do you think, or was it like your art? You went, you know, something, I'm going to try this. I'm going to develop that skill. How did that show up for you? Well, that's a really great question. My dad was an accountant and he worked for organizations was never entrepreneurial. Mm. Well, I'll tell you, Darren, my oldest brother, owns his own company. Sean owns his own company. Mm. Maurice, 
Emil, Ernie. Lance doesn't. Matthew has passed away. Joe does. And Gary does. And people say, how in the world did you have so many entrepreneurs from a single, from a dad who he never encouraged being an entrepreneur. Mm -hmm. But I think for me, I can can only tell you my story is that while I was working for an ad agency, I was doing storyboards. And then I had, um, and I was making actually pretty good money. I remember thinking that I was like the richest guy in the world at the time, (laughs) you know? Um, That's awesome. I'll tell you the story about that. that. That's hilarious. But um, I was watching every once in a while, we would have a huge project that I could not do all my uh, on my own. So we would hire other freelance illustrators to come and help with the storyboard workload. And these guys were making 500 bucks a day. And I'm like, I think I make 500 bucks a week. Yeah. I'm 23, 24. These guys are 40. You know, I got skills. Why don't I do this on my own? All I have to do is work one day a week to match what I'm making now. <laughs> and you got this. <laughs> and so yeah, yeah. I did. Mm-hmm. I'm like, this is this is crazy. What was crazy is like I worked a heck of a lot more than one day a week. And it was most of the work I did for the first couple of years was from the same ad agency that I'd been working for. And they were so gracious and they were they they loved the work that I did. And so we continued to work and work and work. I worked for them. So, yeah, but, uh, oh, I got to tell you the, um, when I was, um, when I was just starting to work for this ad agency, they had reached out to me and, and offered me like a freelance job. And I was like, oh, I don't know anything about this agency. don't know a lot about it, but I thought I'm, I've been making $12 an hour as a screen print. I, I've designed t-shirts. And we're doing, I was doing screen printing. And I thought, I'm going to ask for 20 bucks an hour. I'm going to stick it to them. Right. That's what I'm thinking as I'm going in. And, and so I spent the, like six hours from like, uh, I think it was like mid morning to later in the afternoon, uh, drawing storyboard frames for this creative director. And every few minutes, another art director would come in and go, oh my gosh, you're really, really good. Another guy, holy cow, they said you were good. You're actually really good, man. And they would sit over my shoulder and watch me draw. And this is the first time I've ever drawn storyboards. So I'm under tremendous amount of pressure. I'm nervous. I think my hands are sweating all over the paper. And and so I'm I'm drawing these frames and I'm thinking, yeah, 20 bucks. This is going to be awesome. I'll totally nail it. At the end of the day, the creative director I was working for said, go down to the production manager and establish your rate with them. And I'm like, okay. So I go down to this and meet a lady named Mayor Brixie. Wonderful, heart, the hardest working woman in, in advertising. And she sat down uh, with me and she's, okay, Ernie, what's your rate? And I did the smartest thing I could have done. And I said, well, what do you typically pay mm-hmm. uh, for what I do? And she says, well, between 25 and 75 bucks an hour. And I'm like, well, I know I'm not on the bottom end of this spectrum because mm-hmm. all this attention I was getting but I'm probably not the best they've ever seen either. And I'm young. So I said, uh, $60 an hour. And she says, sounds good. And I, I flew, I floated <laughs> out of that ad agency thinking I was the richest man on the planet. Two weeks later, they hired me full time and I didn't make as much money. <laughs> <laughs> Should have stayed in independent. Uh, so great. Uh, so that's, that's cool. I know. <laughs> So now tell me something around branding, uh, you know, in that there's, this is, I mean, being an entrepreneur as many years as I have and and having businesses and doing all I've done is that, you know, within the world of marketing is understanding what brand means and how important it is. Now, have you grown to a point where you're looking at larger clients or do you, or do you work with the, you know, the mom and pops and the small, smaller uh, entrepreneurs, startups, where do you, where do you kind of enter the conversation? That's a really good question. Um, so I'll talk about branding in general first, like what yeah. branding is to me and then kind of who my clientele are. Yeah. So branding, one of the things I, I is so fascinating is that branding started with cow, cattle, you know, we brand cattle. Sure. sure. Now the important part of that is that primarily, first of all, it's an identifier. Mm-hmm. I can identify 
my cattle from your cattle. Okay, sure. obviously. But there's another level to it too. Ranchers would treat their cattle differently or have different grazing pastures or fields where they could get they could eat, which means some meat products tasted better than other meat products. Some were um, the, some animals grew larger and were healthier because of their far, the ranches that they were on. Mm-hmm. And those were identified by the cattle with a certain brand on it. So product became associated with brand, mm-hmm. not just identif- identification. So the story, the brand became, oh, I want this brand because I'm assured that the product will be like this. Sure. And as long as that consistent product is executed, then you can trust the brand. And so branding is to me is creating a visual recognizable. And in my, in in today's world, it needs to be pretty uh, audacious to get attention. Mm -hmm. So you have to have this visual presence to get attention and then a personality behind that brand so that people will like the company. There's, there's an emotional connection with the company. So a, vocabulary, certain way, certain uh, ways you turn a phrase. Like, for example, I just uh, talked to um, the CEO of a company called Built Bar. It's a, it's basically a a health bar, like Mm -hmm. a, you know, but they want to compete in the candy world to make it a healthy candy bar. Mm. And so they created headlines that were really fun. Yummy and healthy had a baby. And it shows their their bar and they have other really fun sayings. And so because they use language and terminology that is fun, lighthearted and familiar, I am attracted to that versus zero calories, 15 grams protein and whatever. Right. Like, well, you're, you're trying to convince me intellectually, but you're not building a relationship with me. Mm -hmm. And so branding to me is about building relationships through a visual and verbal communication that strengthens and highlights what makes you special mm-hmm. or the organization special. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's branding. And so you asked about clientele. Yeah. When I, I had a the success story with Maverick, the convenience store chain, I was asked to speak at the national association of convenience stores to talk about how that brand was built. The national association of convenience stores is like the biggest Like, I think 20,000 people come to this conference over four days and all the oil companies and the the service providers, they come to this thing. And so I got to speak about Maverick's brand, but because I was asked to speak there and talk about Maverick's brand, it forced me to reverse engineer the process on how I had developed it intuitively. And so I'm like, this is a really good formula. Well, I got a lot of attention. And so I started, I got asked to help other convenience store brands. And these, the the size of these businesses are typically in the, you know, the tens of millions of dollars and uh, which is a great market to be in. Think about the last convenience store that you went into that you said, oh, I love this place. It's like, usually that's not what you say when you go to a convenience (laughs) store. But a lot of these convenience store owners, they want to be a cool place where people want to go. Sure. So that's a good good uh, uh, market for me. But I've helped dentists. Um, I've helped auto dealerships. I helped uh, e- help uh, exercise fitness equipment manufacturer. Mm-hmm. So all these different different clientele, they they all build brands the same way. I mean, it, the brand building is universal. Uh, it doesn't matter what company you are or whatever, but there is a process. And I, after doing this uh, thing for um, the National Association of Convenience or this presentation, and then I was asked to speak more and more, I ended up reverse engineering the process. I streamlined it, used it with my clients, and then I wrote a book about it called Your Brand Sucks. <laughs> so Your Brand Sucks, How to Ignite a Brand That Doesn't. So I wrote this book and then... So I, I now teach and I, I've become this ambassador or this spokesperson for like develop a really good brand so that you can stand out and be successful. Mm-hmm. 
So tell me a little bit, you know, it's interesting we talk about big companies, but I live in a world of entrepreneurs, small entrepreneurs, and as well as real estate investors who are entrepreneurs. But many of them go on to be full-time investors and they build small businesses around their real estate. And, you know, we often talk about and look at the brand of individuals. So, and the reason I ask this is in the world of whatever, TikTok and Instagram and social media all, all over the place that you can enter conversations. So I look at, uh, let's say, uh, um, I don't know, uh, Gary V. Let's look at Gary V. I mean, Gary V is a cool cat. Um, I'm actually a fan, but he's he's he has become a brand. Like there is a brand that, you know, because of who Gary V has shown up as and how he shows up and his narrative and his languaging, he becomes his own brand, so to speak. So do you actually support or do you guide, do you advise, do you recommend that people be really conscious of that, developing their brand for in, in terms of who they are as individuals? I don't know if I'm asking the question the right way, but, you know, so I'm going to use you as an example, Ernie, because you're a bit of a character. You're quite, you know, you come across as quite gregarious. You're out there. You're well-spoken. You're you're not shy. You You do your videos. You put your stuff out there. And was that by nature or was it nurture? Was it intentional? Are you being very focused? In our, in, and so that's what I'm trying to get to is that when we're looking at what's going on in the world today to actually stand out in amongst the noise, uh, is that something that's really important? And is it something, is it like your art, a skill that you have to develop and you have to be able to work on it and develop it? Get, I don't know if, if you understand what I'm trying to get to here, but is, yes. that's the question, I, I guess. I do understand you're basically asking is developing is developing a intentional brand for yourself mm-hmm. an important element of success mm-hmm. so i would say absolutely absolutely and it it has to be intentional mm-hmm. here and, and i still struggle with it mm-hmm. I'm a, i wrote a book on branding and i <laughs> love branding but i still struggle with it it's mm-hmm. hard to do it for yourself like mm-hmm. a dentist trying to pull out their own molar mm-hmm. because we don't have the perspective of what other people see. So I was at a conference three, uh, it was a three day conference earlier this week. And I was asked to kind of give a quick presentation on branding. And the first day it was like a three day conference. The first day I wore this t-shirt and I've got a cool earn burn hat. And I'm like, I got black pants and I've got tennis shoes, Converse, black Converse tennis shoes with flames on the side. Okay, you're so cool cat. You're really I cool look cat. the part. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, day two. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'm more, I'm a cool cat. So that was intentional. I want people to recognize sure. me. I want them to see the, the earn burn brand. Part of my brand image is, okay, I'm a bald dude. And mm-hmm. so, yeah, I shave it clean. I shave my face clean all the time. Part of my, my my brand is optimistic, high energy. Mm-hmm. I'm super positive. I'm super high energy. Mm-hmm. And I have had times where I'm doing a video, mm-hmm. like a, where I'm promoting a, a course or I'm promoting something. And I'll be super self-conscious. I'll record the whole video. And I'm like this. Hello, I'm Ernie Harker. Mm-hmm. I help people develop brands for their companies. It's like... Where the heck did that come from? Sure. But I'm doing it because I, I don't want to come across as too salesy. Right. I don't want to come across as too pushy. Sure. But as I watch it, I, I'm, I'm about ready to fall asleep. Yeah. But I shoot this whole series of, uh, you know, I did, I think, two or three videos like that. I had to scrap them and start again. But be, and, and I had to remi- remind myself what my, what my unique difference is in the marketplace. Mm-hmm. What I bring, not only my knowledge, but how I present it, how I do what I do. Mm-hmm. And that's that's part of this brand. And so for Gary V, Gary V actually went right to his nickname, Gary V. Mm-hmm. He could have said Vaynerchuk, but people yep. are going to go, no, who are you? What Gary Vayner? Yeah, how do you say it? Fleximander. <laughs> what's, what's his last name? Yeah. Um, so he first he embraces that. And for a long time, he had that beanie cap that he'd wear. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, over his ears. Sure have his little hair poking out the front, yeah. you know, he had a, a black t-shirt all the time. And so this visual look, a name like Gary V, his vocabulary, which he tends to kind of borrow some words outside of the Bible. Yeah. 
So he he's a little bit uh, rough around the edges sometimes, but he always speaks with convi- conviction and passion, and he mm-hmm. drives the same points home over and over and over again. Yeah. So he, when you do things over and over again, that becomes your brand. You can mm-hmm. do it intentionally or you can do it unintentionally, mm-hmm. but either way, you're building a brand no matter what you're doing. So the answer to your question, absolutely be very, very thoughtful about what image you're representing, how you sit, mm-hmm. you know? How you, your body language, all mm-hmm. those things people take cues on and determine whether or not you're going to be successful or a good partner or a good employee, all those kinds of things. But we can't just do whatever feels good. I, you know, it's interesting is, is that I'm, I'm, you know, what I've learned over the years is be yourself, your refined self. So in other words, be intentional of who you are, but be true to yourself. So the one thing that's really remarkable about a guy like Gary Vee, and I just, I only use Gary as an example because he is consistent philosophically. Uh, You know, he F-bombs all over the place. He's aggressive that way. He has very clear beliefs and he supports those beliefs and he doesn't really care if you think like him or not. And this is what's interesting about Gary and a guy like Gary. And like I say, I'm only using him. I could probably use many others. I could use you as a matter of fact, is that you show up, you are who you are, you're intentional about it, but you're being true to who you are. And then the rest that don't align with that. And this is my belief. If people don't align with you, then that's okay. You know, Gary gets to be who he is and he's out there a lot. So at the end of the day, you know, people who believe in his, what he believes, who understand philosophically and follow uh, philosophically and and, uh, agree with him, they're going to hang out with him. But that's who he always is. You know, that's just how Gary shows up. And I've happened to know some people that know Gary and they go, that's just how that dude is. Like, he's just that way. So the reason I think this conversation is also important, you know, brand aside, we don't think of it in terms of brand a brand always we don't frame it that way but it's really important that if you're going to be in business and and we talk like you say to lots of small business owners and lots of uh, real estate investors to be really clear that this is who I am and not try and please everybody not try and sell to everybody not try to impress everybody because you won't and it'll look a little bit like who the hell is this person and that will usually backfire anyways because you know Nobody shows up. Oh yeah, absolutely. I couldn't agree with you more. I when I when I teach branding and I consult on branding, mm-hmm. there's four principles of branding that I use. F is find your brand spark. That is the thing that makes your you different. I is identify your core customer because if you don't know who your core customer is. You won't be able to fashion the language. Like, think about the, the language, the visuals, the person I, to attract that customer, like fishing. What, what a lot of small businesses do, it's like, I don't care what fish I catch. I just want to catch as many as possible. I need everybody. Mm-hmm. I, I, everybody is my customer. Sure. It's like, well, no. if you were to take that same approach fishing, it's like, well, I don't know what bait all these different fish like. So I'm just going to put a hook in the water. Mm-hmm. Okay, you're attracting nobody. Yeah. No, no fish is offended yeah. by the, the different bait that's on there, but you're not going to catch anybody because nobody cares mm-hmm. if you're trying to catch everybody. Mm-hmm. You, that's why it's so important to have a strong, to identify, articulate your, your business's personality, mm-hmm. go all in so that it's a strong flavor. What if people said... I don't know who Gary B is. I just don't care. Yeah. There's no way he'd be successful. So we need to be audacious. We need to take it by the horn. Yeah. Uh, I think of the book called uh, Tribes that Seth Godin wrote. And really it is about uh, being true to your brand and then those people who follow that brand or who buy into what you believe actually begin to show up. And I think that's just a... I mean, I think that's a great way to run your business. I think it's just a great way to live life is when you're true to yourself, when you are really being clear on who you are, understand who you are, then you're going to attract those individuals into your life that align with whatever it is that you believe in who you are. But I've been asked multiple times, when does customer research come into play in developing your brand? So mm. how much customer involvement should be considered in building a brand. Mm -hmm. And 
So the hardest part of brand development is identifying the personality of the organization. Mm-hmm. Once that personality is established and defined, then you create the visuals and the language to represent it in a consistent way. Now, in order for that to be done consistently over time, there needs to be a force inside the organization that perpetuates it, that moves it forward, that pushes it out. And if it doesn't, if that brand soul doesn't live in the heart of the marketing director and the CEO, Mm. there is no way, there's no way there's enough uh, sustaining energy to keep the brand on target and on, on focus because even great brands aren't, they're not perfect. Every time they get up to bat, Mm -hmm. they'll hit ground balls. They'll, they'll, um, they'll kind of hit a foul ball every once in a while. Those are the great brands. So if you're, if you don't really care about your brand because you're going, okay, remember our customers said they want this and this and this. Okay. uh, Let's make sure it's doing that. You have to constantly be reminded instead of it being like, okay, you guys remember, this is who we are. Mm -hmm. This is our soul. Mm -hmm. And you'll, you'll attract individuals in your organization that care about that soul, that Mm -hmm. belief. Mm -hmm. So by the way, my four-step process, find your spark, identify your core customers, realize your core belief. Mm -hmm. And what I mean by that is not a religious belief. It's what role does your business play in your industry? And why is that important to the world? Mm -hmm. If you know what that is, that shapes a lot of your values. It's like, this is why I want to work for company X because mm-hmm. I love what they are about. Mm-hmm. And that, that helps influence the language and the tone and the personality that's conveyed through marketing and social media and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And the E, the last part, is, is the funnest part. It's mm-hmm. establish your brand adjectives. These are adjectives that describe the company and two of which of the five cannot describe your competitor. Mm. So what that means is like, if all five could be used to describe your competitor, Mm -hmm. then you're really not that different. Mm -hmm. So you need to make sure that there's something in there that describes you that, that can't be described to a competitor. Those adjectives then help you choose brand elements. For example, we are a cheerful, happy, positive brand. Mm-hmm. What colors can we choose from? Brown is not going to work. Dark blue is not going to work. But my favorite color is dark blue. I'm the CEO and I love dark blue. Sure. Great. That is not the personality of the brand. So establishing those four attributes and the adjectives that go along with that helps to, to make brand decisions a reference to the brand strategy, not a personal preference. Mm-hmm. That's the value of a brand strategy. You know, it's interesting as you're talking about brand and, and you know, I'm, I, I'm really conscious of brand for a number of reasons, not the least of which is one of my businesses I've had for 37 years in Edmonton. Uh, the Real Estate Investment Network has been around for 29 years. And so I've become really conscious of brand and what we stand for. And you know, recent, not recently, over the past few years. So rain has been through a couple of different iterations. We've, you know, because we're evolving and changing, trying to grow in a, in a, in a kind of a dynamic way. What I got to is we started to define our ethos. You know, who were we as a team? Who are we as an organization? And I actually put an acronym around ethos. So we talked about the E in ethos being energy, the T in ethos being trust. And I I, I have a, uh, you know, there's four dimensions of trust that we break down. And then the R, the H was heart, you know, because you, you really have to care. And within that, the O was ownership because we take full responsibility for all of what we do, all of the results that we get, all of what we say and who we say we are. We take 100% ownership uh, and and the S was really for the, I guess, in, in that context, we used it as just soul. It really was who we were at a cellular level. And that was our ethos. And we, the, the executive team and everybody kind of got behind that. And that's really what we stood for. And then what we stood out around in this, in this particular industry is we don't sell real estate. 
we don't sell real estate. You know, we we are we're a community of real estate investors who want to learn how to invest in real estate. We're known for our research. As a matter of fact, our research has often been compared to that of banks. So all of that is to, you know, as much as it's a shameless plug, most of the people that are listening are part of the RAIN community or often part of the RAIN community. So hopefully we they're seeing that and that we stand for that would always be my kind of goal around it. But what I'm saying in that is, is that that is brand. That is who the executive team shows up as. That's who I hope I show up as. And, and, and that is the stand to your point that everybody has to get behind. You know, we have to live it. We have to be that. And mm-hmm. and because of that, because of that definition and that ethos that we created, it, it's really who we attract. So we attract individuals who are attracted to that belief mm-hmm. system, oh, absolutely. to that brand, right? So I share that only because that's the definition. Yeah, I think it's uh, what you've done is critical. I wanted to just share that part of it because it's so critical in brand and for listeners and entrepreneurs and real estate investors that are listening to this, is it so incredibly important to define that brand and then that's, you got to live it. You got to be it. And that's where the sole part of ethos, it's got to be who you are at a cellular level. You know, then you can, then you can develop that skill. You can develop that part of it, uh, Ernie, which is like you did with your art, right? Absolutely. I, I love the ethos that you've created. I don't know how many times you've been in a, you and I have been to a business where they say, okay, remember our values. And you're trying to figure out like, why there's people that have been in organizations for 10 years and they don't remember the values. Mm -hmm. They don't remember. Okay. There's, there's integrity, there's honesty. And (laughs) so the way you've created this ethos, Mm -hmm. energy, trust, heart, I forgot the O, but I've only been told it once. What's the O stand for? Ownership. And in this case, extreme ownership. Ownership. But you created this acronym that makes it easy to remember those things. And Mm -hmm. if it's easy to remember, then it becomes easy to apply, easy to uh, ingest. And if you continually reference the ethos, Mm -hmm. there will be employees that go, look, if I don't fit with the ethos, I'm out. Mm-hmm. And they they weed themselves out. They're easy to identify. Mm-hmm. But they also attract people that share that ethos. Mm-hmm. So it's not a corporate training thing where we're going, okay, remember, you have to check through the ethos. And right. if, if you are not <laughs> doing these things, be sure to work on it. Yeah. I love that part of it. And, uh, you know, I coach it. I present it. I actually share with many people. This is our ethos. Embrace. You know, if you like it, use it, because I think it really takes it's it's that part of people that it helps them get started on actually being conscious of defining who they're going to be in the space. If they're raising capital, if they're being a you know, rental housing provider, how are they interacting with their clients slash tenants? What are they doing in that regard? And I think it's such a powerful way to actually, uh, you know, really own and grow your business in a powerful way, because that's back to the original conversation around a Gary V. That's who you're going to attract. And if, he, if people don't align with that, that's okay. You know, that's fine. They that perfect. As a matter of fact, they won't be happy there anyways. Yeah. It's hard to satisfy people who don't have the same expectations that you do. It's like, uh, I don't know how to connect with you because we're not yeah. really connecting on the same thing. Yeah. I'm a commodity. I just sell the same. That's really what it is. You you have to just have like this generic universal commodity that people can take or leave. Yeah. So I'm going to go off on a total different tangent. And uh, the reason I am is because you talked about being at a conference a few days ago. Now, you're located in Salt Lake, as I recall. Yep. Yeah. So you're at a conference. What the hell? You know, uh, how did that sh- How did that happen? Uh, is uh, where are you guys? I'm curious. Where are you guys <laughs> in, the, in the world of COVID these days? It is the mask mandate has been lifted. Social distancing has been removed. The cases that we have in our community are so low, they've gone below the the prescribed social distancing and mask mandate. Mm -hmm. Um, Masks are recommended but not required. Mm -hmm. And most people don't want to wear them, so they don't. Um, There's a lot of people who have had the... um, 
the uh, treatment, the injections. Yeah. So uh, it's almost back to normal. So it was a conference, three days. Nobody had a mask on. Mm -hmm. We were all sitting shoulder to shoulder like a normal conference. Wow. And it was what was crazy is that at certain times you're going because you forgot about COVID. It, mm -hmm. It's like so normal. You forgot about the whole pandemic. But there are certain times you're going, oh, my gosh, it, we're back to normal. Oh, yeah. It's been a year and we're back to normal. Yeah. Well, good for you. Good for you guys. Uh, it's so nice. Yeah. Canada's not quite there yet. I mean, we're, we're all, we're getting there. Uh, still not there just yet. So let's talk a little bit about what is, you know, when you look at what happened in your business and other businesses, uh, when, when you look across the U.S., um, your observations over the past year plus, but something you learned about business through COVID, through this pandemic time. What I'm going to ask you two or three questions, so I'm going to put you on the spot a little bit here. Uh, but what what is something you learned in business since the pandemic? Early on in the pandemic, I heard voices of, "Oh, this is uh, our economy is going to be completely melted down. Mm -hmm. uh, we are not going to be able to recover from this. This is the end." Mm -hmm. And I think we underestimate the the resolve of people mm -hmm. that the resolve that people have. And I think we all have to live. We all have to make money. We all have to be industrious. We all have to feel productive, like we're contributing to society. Mm -hmm. And even a pandemic will not prevent that from happening. People mm -hmm. will find a way to add value to people, to other organizations. They'll work from home. They'll deliver the food. Um, they'll do whatever it takes. So I love the resolve that our, our country has. And what did you learn about yourself? Hmm. You know, I, I learned that I love spending more time with my family. Hmm. I realized that um, there is, you know, soccer practice, gymnastics. There's a million things going on throughout the week. And every, the school, the homework and everything else what a blessing it was to have the first few months of the pandemic where you were sitting down with your family. There were no distractions mm -hmm. and you, you talked about things, you, you were scared. Mm -hmm. And so this, this, the fear kind of bonded you. Mm -hmm. And so I learned that I, I, I wish that there was a way for us to, to maintain some aspects of the pandemic, things that we learned. But as soon as, as soon as, a soccer practice start up again as soon as you know every you know piano lessons and all that stuff happened well kids are gone all the mm -hmm. time mm -hmm. and i found so much value just spending like uh book reading time together in the living room mm -hmm. like i am i'm i loved that very very rare experience and i will cherish that and be grateful for the pandemic to create that family tightness mm -hmm. that we will always be distracted in the future, mm -hmm. as, especially as things get more and more just busy and distracting and uh, all these, uh, all these, uh, it's a tug of war for our attention. I loved learning that. Was there anything that you developed in terms of, did you do more? Did you read more? Did you work out more? Did you, was there some kind of uh, a, a develop, like, did you do any kind of personal professional development stuff? Did that fold into what was going on? Like for me, I know I, I did read a lot more. I paid attention more mental health. You know, I was kind of, uh, we launched a couple of coaching programs and uh, had an amazing time, you know, for us on a business side of it, we went from, we were always a national organization, but I mean, literally we went, you know, shoreline to shoreline and, uh, you know, a lot of good came out of pandemic in terms of our business model because we were able to communicate with more people, more in depth, as much as people don't like Zoom, you get a little bit of Zoom gloom, got it, I'm that way for sure. Uh, but at the end of the day, I mean, in terms of the environment that we created, you know, getting questions answered, communication was better, uh, you know, literally people from across the country were coming together. That was kind of the bonus side of it on in a business point of view. Uh, on my business in uh, Alberta, however, you know, we closed the doors for a while, like a long time. I actually had to take one on one location that I had and shut it down uh, permanently. So there was all, a lot of learning in all of that that came about. 
And like you say, I, I read a lot more. I, I did way more research than I've ever done uh, economically. I really spent a lot of time uh, learning about the U.S. because we're a research company. And, and I really dove deep into what's going on in the U.S. economically because Canada will be at the effect of it. As real estate investors, I want to know that. So that was kind of my thing. And, and uh, my wife and I, I mean, we get along famously. We're celebrating our 25th anniversary and been together 30 years. Like, it's awesome. Awesome. And, you know, we hung out a lot together and we're blessed because we live in the country and we love the property we're on and it, it's been great. So we we certainly didn't struggle in terms of living conditions in that regard. It was it was really great. So what about you? Did you take something on? Did you develop a new skill? I did. I did. So I as a production guy, as a creative guy, I had learned how to use a, a program called Adobe After Effects to do motion graphics and really cool special effects and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. But I had been using it to edit videos whenever I needed to because that's the tool I knew. Sure. And I had just infinite control over editing in After Effects. But it's a terrible tool for video editing because it's like it's like trying to paint a house with a Q-tip super, super detail, super yeah. sophisticated, but you don't need it right. for a house. Mm -hmm. So, so I did this crazy thing. I hope nobody actually goes to verify this, but I created a YouTube channel called sketch dash E. So sketchy. And it's me okay. being a character, a crazy character, like Bob Ross meets uh, Joe, uh, Spicoli surfer dude. He's got a side slur and I teach kids how to draw. But wow. I did that for two reasons. I wanted to get comfortable in front of the camera. Yeah. And the second thing was I wanted to learn how to edit using Adobe Premiere. Mm -hmm. And so I would, oh man, my, the first uh, few, oh man, the first two months of creating these videos, I was a train wreck and I couldn't speak. I couldn't put two words together to make a coherent sentence. And then I would edit and I'd be so frustrated editing these things in a new software that I'm not familiar with. But over the course of the year, I became much, much more comfortable speaking. See, I'm actually not even looking at you right now. I'm looking at the little green dot next to my camera on sure. my phone, on sure. my computer. Yep. I've had to train myself to, do that. to be comfortable picturing you because I know what you look like now. I'm going to picture you in that green dot. So it creates folk. It re requires me to take focus and training and stuff like that. Mm. So I've got that. And then I created, now I can edit videos. So now I can do my own videos mm -hmm. to promote my course. Mm -hmm. And that's a, the last thing I did was I realized it is going to be very, very difficult in the future. If this, if this uh, pandemic is sustained to build help organizations build their uh, brands in the typical face-to-face -face, uh, sessions that mm -hmm. I typically do when I consult. So I have to develop a course that people can follow. And so I spent a ton of time developing a course and I'm super, super proud of it. It's, it's not a canned course that people just, you know, watch on their own time. It's called build your billion dollar brand. Cool. Or ignite ignite your billion dollar brand. That's what it is. Ignite your billion dollar brand, and uh, the first course starts next month. Right. So the best place to find out about this course is on my website, earnburn.com, E-R-N-B-U-R-N.com, and there's all the links to my stuff except Sketchy. It's not on there. <laughs> Sketchy's not there. Okay, I got it. Uh, so that's great. So Ernie, uh, appreciate your time. You know, the conversation around branding is so big. It's so important. I love the, uh, the journey of, uh, you know, eight brothers. I've, I've just, the whole time we've been talking, I'm picturing eight brothers and uh, what that must've meant to your mom and what that must've been like. And, uh, so that's awesome. So it's really great. But as we wind down, I like to do some rapid fire questions, just to have a little fun and, uh, well, move you. things along. So, so um, are you ready a little rapid fire? Let's do it. Okay. What's the most impactful book you've read or that you gift? Extreme Ownership by Jocko Willink Love has it. been exceptionally uh, beneficial to me. Um, I've, I've uh, given it to many people. I love the four-hour work week. My wife teases me all the time because I reference it a lot. I, I share a lot of the same <laughs> values. In but, fact... 
I'm a religious guy. And so Wendy always calls, um, says, I quote him like Brother Ferris. <laughs> Brother Ferris says, you know, so That's great. Uh, Tim, so Tim Ferris is the author of the four hour work week, yeah. but, but definitely the Jocko Willink extreme ownership has been highly impactful because it says, take ownership of everything in your life. Any results that you have, it's because of your action. Mm. Don't be a victim just take action. Yeah. Yeah. I read that book a couple of years ago, maybe three years ago. And I have to say that in the past three years, yeah, I think that would be the sing that would be the book in the past three years that's had the single biggest impact on my view of the world. And, and I always thought I was pretty responsible for it, really accountable. Uh, but this, you know, that book, Extreme Ownership, and I've recommended it many times on the show here. Uh, I think it's a must read, to be honest with you. I think it's everybody, uh, that's a, everybody should read that book. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Very. Do you have a favorite inspirational quote? Favorite inspirational quote. Oh, man. Men are that they might have joy. Mm. It's a scripture. Yeah, I get it. It's great. It kind of caught me off guard because I'm going, I have not heard that one. Given your religious beliefs, here we go. If uh, heaven exists, what would you like to hear God say when you arrive at the gates? Welcome back, brother. (laughs) Excellent. So what are you not very good at, but you do it anyways? I, I'm not, I don't think I'm very good at triathlons because I'm always in the 50th or lower percentile when I do them. <laughs> yeah. But I do them anyway because it pushes me out of my comfort zone. It always stresses me and and I it's a fantastic uh workout. It's a mental uh challenge. It's a physical challenge. So, not good at triathlons, but I do them anyway. Yeah, that's great. You know, it's interesting that we talk because, you know, there was a time when I did, I didn't do triathlons, but I used to, I used to run and I'm, and I'm, and I'm nuts. I'm six, two. And, you know, on, on, on my lightest day, I'm two Oh five. And, and that's pretty lean for me. And I used to run, but, you know, and, and, and what's interesting about it is that, so as you're talking about that, I always go, yeah, um, and now at 63 years old, I'm going, my body paid the price for that. Like I pushed myself and, and it's like, there's some things if you're not very good at it. And I read my half marathons were, were all, you know, kind of 140, 138, 151, you know, like they're in that kind of time zone. So it wasn't like I was a, a, a total Clydesdale, but, but I'm, I'm, I'm saying today that my body has definitely paid a price for that. So that's that, I don't know why I break that up only to say that be careful on your body. <laughs> Ernie. Yeah. <laughs> don't yeah. push. Don't push it. I, I, I am. And you know, one of the things I did too, you also mentioned, you also mentioned, uh, uh, or one of the other answers to that question is yoga because yeah. I decided to change my, um, approach mm-hmm. to physical fitness. I still like doing triathlons, but yoga has become a much bigger part of my exercise. Yeah. So I probably do yoga two or three times a week hot yoga yep. and it's my flexibility, my core strength, all those things are, are better. Cause yeah. you know what? Nobody cares if you can run 10 miles, yeah. if you can't tie your shoes. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. I did Bikram yoga for a number of years. I did yoga for a number of years as well. And listen, a good yoga session kicks your ass. Let's just face it. I mean, to me, that's such a great workout and, oh, and it's easier yeah, on your amen. body. Yeah. Okay. So your room, your desk, or your car? What do you clean first? Car. Do you have a favorite tune? Stick Figure sings a song called Smiling. And it's just a happy, upbeat, chill out song. I know most of the songs they sing are about marijuana. but <laughs> I love that song. It's so mellow and happy and optimistic. It kind of reflects my personality. Awesome. Do you have a favorite movie? The Incredibles. Uh, <laughs> Brad Bird's uh, Pixar masterpiece. Yeah, that's a good movie. That's awesome. And Ernie, last of all, what are you grateful for? My family. Mm-hmm. I I am the luckiest man in the world. I've got, I feel like I've got a supermodel wife. I've got three gorgeous, sweet, independent daughters. And I've got a son that who's uh, 12 this summer that I would do anything for. And I'm just so grateful for a family that is healthy and happy and like, what else? And I'm, and I'm glad I'm healthy enough mm-hmm. to enjoy life. Yeah. 
That's awesome. Well, Ernie, I am grateful to have had the opportunity to get to know you better and have you join me on the Everyday Millionaire podcast. And today I am exceptionally huge grateful for my uh, significant other, my wife, Stephanie Hanlon Francie. And uh, that's where my gratitude lives today, at least in this moment. And I'm always, always grateful for my health. And so, Ernie, thank you so much for joining me on the show. Thank you very much for having me. See you later. See you later, man. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for listening. If you found value in the podcast, please take the time to rate and review and share with others, share with your friends. As it is my goal to always improve and to provide the highest value for you, the listener, if you have any comments, suggestions, or questions you'd like answered, please email me at ceo at raincanada.com. That's ceo at reincanada.com. I look forward to hearing from you. And until next time, Patrick out.